0: Please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. Our scripture reading today is Luke 9 23 through 26. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me, and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, the glory of the Father and the holy angels.
1: I want to thank Shane for allowing me to, uh, to speak today. They're going on a counseling trip. It didn't take long for me to realize uh, we've been back about four years or so. you have a good time. Uh, it didn't take me long to realize of what it all entails to be a pastor. Yeah, Preaching is a big, big, big part of it. But God's plan was for uh, undershepherds to shepherd his sheep. And Shane does a great job, and he has gone to learn how to do that even better. And we are definitely blessed to have a great undershepherd who loves and lives with his sheep. And he will correct us at time too, so if you know Shane. Anyway, I'm glad to be here um, a while back. This is actually a continuation. We're not doing Exodus. He gave me the opportunity, again, to pick what I wanted to pick. And so a while back, we did a study. Uh, it was on the Sermon on the Mount. And the text that I had to uh, preach on that day was the Wide and Narrow Road. And the more I studied that scripture... Uh, the more I became burdened because I realized, and think about this, out of all the people that say, man, I love the Lord, I love the Lord, out of everybody that says that, more of them are going to hell versus heaven. That tore me up. I still haven't got over that. And uh, it just really, really uh, bothers me. And, uh, of course, in the context of that that sermon, that message of Matthew, we understand that false teaching was a part of that, uh, leading people down the wide road. But another thing that concerns me also, there are people that sit uh, in fellowships like this under some of the most sound biblical teaching there is, And yet they, too, are still lost and on the the wide road. And that concerns me. It should concern you also. So that's kind of a reason reason why I chose this text. This is actually, uh, if I had, we had an evangelism class. Chase talked about that a little bit this past fall. It was a great class. We learned, you know, what the gospel is, how to communicate the gospel, uh, how to engage with people. Uh, in the gospel, and we touched on this topic just maybe a little bit. But if I had to do just one more class, if this was the last class of that Wednesday night, this is exactly what I would be saying because this is this is the gospel. This is what Christ did, and so if he, if Christ does it and 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 says it, and it's a part of His plan, then we don't need to exclude that that message. But here's I see a lot of new faces here. You know, I was here a long time ago, but I see a lot, of, a lot of new faces. I don't know if some of you know this, but years ago, we did not meet here. Did y'all know that? You new folks, did y'all know that? We didn't meet in here. Why? We had to meet over there. Why? Did you realize that there was, on a Sunday, upwards of 500-plus people here every week? Did y'all know that? Now, I'm not, good, uh, I'm not good at grammar. My small group class will tell you that. Uh, Caleb, the cameraman back there, on my PowerPoints that I do in class, he has a tendency when I misspell a word to write a little sticky note and go and put it on the screen. I understand I'm not real good at grammar. But I'm, I'm decent at math. I can do addition and subtraction. But there's not 500 people here. Where are they at? Where did they go? We need to look at that. Some of them are still here, aren't they? Chris Wilkes, good to see you here. Uh, There's several, several here. Some have moved on to serve faithfully in other churches. Praise the Lord for that. Some of them, some of them have died. And, and some have left the faith. They've left. And I know, you know, I know some that are proclaiming atheists at this point. That should concern you. It concerns me. But I have learned over the years, mainly over the last 10 years, never uh, judge the success by a crowd. doesn't matter. You don't judge success by numbers. You don't do that. I've learned that. It took me a long time to learn that. But that's one thing you definitely don't do. This is nothing new. Over 2,000 years ago, the greatest preacher walked this earth. And following him were great crowds of people. And what Jesus says to the crowds may shock you. I titled today's sermon, Salvation is Free, but it's free. But it will cost you your life. And as you look at that title, those words just don't go together, do they? Free and cost. What does it, is it free or does it cost? And the answer is, Jeff, what is it? Yes. 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 And and we're going to, as we go through here, we're going to see, that's not my opinion. That's what Jesus says. He's the greatest preacher that ever existed so it's free, but yet it costs. I was trying to think of an earthly picture. I love pictures. I love uh, parables and pictures and illustrations. Uh, let me give you just a slight illustration. Back in the day, back in 1980, <coughs> uh, whatever, uh, uh, there, was a young, there was a girl uh, named Cindy Glass. She was a great softball player. Some of you guys back in the day may have played against her. But she was a great softball player. She was killer. She was so good that UT Martin wanted to have her on their team. And here's what they said, "Cindy, your education is free. Their education is free. It's not going to cost you a dime." Okay? I'm like, "Wow. That's awesome, right?" And so that is about as far as I can go with that before I start having to make stuff up because Cindy never did go to Martin. Uh, she was dating this guy. I forget who he was. Good looking guy. It seemed like I remember. Right. What's his name? His niches are Phil Ramsey. Anyway, <laughs> so she didn't go to Martin. She went to Memphis. So now I'm going to start fibbing a little bit for sake of the illustration. So let's say that Cindy went to Martin and it's her first week. About, it's about her third day and she's very studious. So she's studying all day long and she comes and gets in the dorm and she's studying and and about that third day, she gets a phone call. It's from Coach. And he wants to know, where are you at? Cindy says, well, I'm studying. You, I don't know if you understand this, Coach. I got a free education. I got a free education. He said, you better get down, on, down here on this field because we own you. And so salvation, yes, free education. But it's going to cost you your life. So let me tell you up front, this is, it's really easy to read, it's easy to read, it's kind of easy to understand, but it's extremely hard to accept. And so we're going to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 14, Chase read a different text but kind of had the same theme as this, Luke chapter 14, and I'll begin uh, in verse Uh, I'll start in 25, and I'll go to 35. All right, 25. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own life, Y'all listen to these words, you're going to hear them a lot. He cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does does not first sit down and count the cost whether he has enough to complete it? Or otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king goes out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 men to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has, and here's the word, cannot be my disciple. Verse 34. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is... It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So I want you to uh, see our first point. We see that great multitudes follow Christ. And notice the crowd, it's plural, it's plural. Uh, it's, uh, if you go back and read several chapters, if you look at the Gospels, as Jesus' ministry was progressing, as he was making his way towards Jerusalem, multiple, multiple crowds began to come, and they began to follow him. And some estimate tens of thousands of people as he was making his, his journey towards Jerusalem. And of course, there were crowds waiting there when he got to Jerusalem ultimately, but yet great crowds was coming with them. Let me tell you something. You can get lost in the crowd. Trust me. I've learned that. You can get lost in the crowd. I can look out here and I can look at you. I don't know anything about your heart. And it's so easy to get in a crowd and get lost. It reminds me uh, years ago, I've got a a studio, and my first location was up on the square. I see Kelly. Hey, Kelly, wake up, girl. I see Kelly, and maybe you were there. She used to work for me. Uh, I was there, and my studio building was right across from the courthouse. And so one day, I I'm, met I'm the studio, and it was either two or three guys walked in. I can't remember exactly, but they were dressed up. They had dark suits on. They had sunglasses, little things in their ears. I'm like, what? I surely they don't want their picture made, but they do look good. Uh, and so what this was, this was a secret service. had come to my studio. And, uh, and they, they asked me, was I the owner of the building? I said, well, yes, I am. They said, well, well, we will need a key from you because President Clinton is coming into town and we are his security detail. And what we want to do is we're going to place sharpshooters on your roof as he speaks at the courthouse square. And uh, they were there to take somebody out, I guess, so if they did something wrong. But in that crowd, there was a lot of people. Was anybody there that day? If you were there, Jeff was there. You old, brother. Anybody else old? Anybody else old? Was anybody there to say that day, Bill Clinton, the president of the United States, came to downtown Covington? It was unbelievable. And it was everybody in the crowd. You had Democrats. You had Republicans, independents. All different kinds of political views. And if you look real close, you would have saw my big head. I was there, too. But uh, let me tell you something. I was in awe, man, the president. I was in awe, and you might even saw me clapping. OK? But don't tell nobody this. You ready? Are we, on, are we on live media? Y'all don't listen. I'm not a fan of Bill Clinton, okay? I really I was opposed to Bill Clinton. I love Bill Clinton. I do not like Bill Clinton and at least his policies. And so uh, anyway, so by, by looking at that. But you could get lost. You never, if you looked at me that day, you'd say, "Oh yeah, he loves Bill Clinton." Uh, no, I don't. Uh, I pray for him. Probably hope he goes to heaven. Uh, but we know that when when, Christ, when uh, the crowds were following Christ, there was all kinds of people. Why? We we've read the scriptures. We know that one group were true believers. They have left behind their old ways. They have surrendered their life to Him. They had entered into a new life, following Christ with their whole hearts. They were true believers. Other people in the crowd, they were just mere, merely curious. They had never seen or heard anyone like Jesus. Man, he didn't, when he spoke, wow, he didn't quote the other rabbis. He spoke as if he was God himself. Man, they were, they were curious, but they were unconverted. Still others were confused about who he was. Isn't isn't that the carpenter's son? I mean, four years ago, him and his dad Joseph built a swing for us. Isn't that the carpenter's son? Mary's boy? Sweet lady down the street? And he says he's the Messiah. They were confused, but here's the deal. They were not committed. Many in the crowd were very religious. They were entrapped in the false religion that so much of Israel was in. Just like the Pharisees, they looked good on the outside, but inwardly, they were dead men's bones. They did the part, they were devoted to the law and the other things, but they were were lost. They were religious, but yet they had no relationship with Christ. And then we have counterfeit followers. Who comes to mind when I say counterfeit? The biggest counterfeit you could ever think of. Judas, that's who I think of. Uh, It was those that give the appearance of being a genuine disciple. They blended in with the crowd like tares amongst the wheat. They looked very spiritual. They were right beside Christ. They had a superficial attachment to Jesus. They had a knowledge of him, but they, they did not know him personally. And now I got a question to ask you guys. Which one are you? Which one are you? I can assure you you are in the category of one of these people. Which one are you? Most of you are going to say, "I'm a disciple. I'm just like the other one, the other twelve minus Judas, right? I'm one of them. I hope you're right. Some of you are, but we're going to find out. We're about to diagnose the situation. Uh, he's about to do something. Christ is about to do something that 90 percent of preachers will not do today. He's about to turn around. And he's about to thin the crowds out. He's not going to sugarcoat the message. He is not going to turn around and and ask you to repeat a prayer. He's not going to do that. He's not going to ask you to ask him into your heart. He's not going to do that. And when we leave this part of the gospel message off, uh, we notice that we could could draw crowds. But when we tell them the truth, guess what? Some of them are going to leave. And his job wasn't, he wasn't trying to increase the crowd, but what do the crowds do. Just a few months later, crucify him. He wasn't about crowds. He was about calling out disciples. So when we leave this part out, and we do all the time, we can fill our churches, but yet when things hit, people, people may leave. Let me repeat the title. Salvation is free, but it will cost you your life. I've heard a lot of people say this, including myself. Okay, I was wrong. It's as easy as the ABCs. Have you ever heard that? Hey, being a Christian is just as easy as the ABCs. You ready? Admit you're a sinner. Is that true? Yeah, that's true. Christ come to save sinners. Are you one? Okay, admit that you're a sinner. I'm good with that. What's another one? Be, believe. Believe in Christ. Now, we're not talking about just some mere intellectual belief system. We know what belief means. Is that a necessity to follow Christ? Oh, yes, it is. What is C? Commit your life to Christ. Is that easy? No, it's very, very hard. If you say it's easy, you have not read what we read today. And what we got to see, here. This is an evangelist evangelist evangelism text. This is Jesus calling people, right? Calling people to himself. And these terms of when he calls, you don't set the terms. They're non negotiable, non negotiable terms. So, and it says, verse 26, let's look at verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children, brothers and sisters. Yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. If anyone, I love that word, if anyone comes to me, who is anyone? Anyone, anyone in the crowd that day. We've already looked at who it was. It was all types of people. This This is an imitation of the gospel to everyone, everyone come to me. It didn't matter who you were, male, female, rich, poor, come to me. Come to me by faith, not with your feet, but with your heart. Receive this gift of salvation without cost. You can't add to it. You can't take away away from it. It's complete and it is absolutely free. It says in Revelation, and it's a lot of text, but I'll just pick this one. Revelation 22:17. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take water of life without price. It's free. This is a, an evangelistic text. But people say, well, wait a minute. How can this be the gospel? We don't see faith because that's necessity, right? We don't see repentance in here, but you have to remember, we're getting a snippet of, a, of, a, of, of what Christ is saying. These people have been following him for a while. So we're just getting a little glimpse of, of what he said, but keep in mind, they have heard him day in and day out. So this is a, an uh, evangelism text, but here's the deal. We're good with that. Free gift. Receive it. Yes. Okay, got it. Now we're going to throw in a little grammar. It's called a conjunction word, right? It's a conjunction word. And it says, uh, it says, and, and. So you're telling me to come to Christ and to receive the free gift of the gospel of salvation that there are conditions. I didn't say that. It's what Christ is saying. So let's, let's see what he says. He says, He says, you have to come to me. Second, I want you to remember your love for Christ must be greater than the love for others and self. The Christian's love for Christ must be greater than all his relationships. Think about that. All of his relationships. It says, and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters. Man, if you just look at that and read it on the surface, What you're going to say is, man, we've got some contradictions here. We just, hey, we're in the Ten Commandments. What's it say about old mom and dad? Honor your mother and father. And now Jesus is saying, hate your mother and father. So is he asking us to hate the ones that we love the most? The answer is, Jeff? Yes, head, think about that one. But we need to define what this means in the Bible. We need to define what this means. Because if it means hate like we think, then we're going to have some issues. Uh, Leviticus 19.18 says, You shall not take vengeance and bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Ephesians 5.25 Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. John, hey, looking at his own mother while he's on the cross, John 19, 26. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. From that hour, the disciple took her into his home. Surely, Jesus loved his mother So how do we harmonize this? How do we harmonize this? Jesus is actually using a figure of speech. This is an exaggerated statement to make a point. He is deliberately setting love and hate in contrast to one another. When Jesus says we must hate our own family members, he actually means that we must love them less than we love him. Did y'all get that? Did y'all understand that? You have to love Christ Rodney more than Pooh. You have to. That's what he said. Is that easy or is that hard? It's hard. You must love him before any any relationship. And if I was in the crowd that day uh, and Jesus was talking and, and there I am and I got Cindy with me, my bride Cindy and then I got Reagan who's watching my Facebook today and I've got Grayson here. And they got Mary Evelyn and my new daughter in law and my son there. And then we got River Ray Ramsey. Have y'all ever met River Ray Ramsey? This cat, I think he's perfect. I really do. <laughs> so we're sitting there and Christ is saying, Phil, hate Cindy, hate your children, hate River Ray Ramsey. Time out. Have you, seen, have you seen River Jesus? Look at this guy. But anyway, that's what he's saying. We have to love him more. That's exactly what it is. Loving Christ begins with a knowledge of who he is. What is his character? What has he done? What is he doing? What will he do? In order to love him with all of our minds, like the scripture says, we've got to have a knowledge of who he is. We got to have, and that comes through what? It comes through the Scripture. And I guarantee you, there are many people in this room that have not read your Bible or studied your Bible in weeks. Think about it. Listen. When's the last time you got in God's Word? Think about yourself. When's the last time you devoured and ate and studied and was sanctified by God's Word? Some of you have not done that this week. Some of you have not done that this month. Some of you have not done that this year. Some of you never do that. So how can you love Christ and and not know who he is? And that comes through his word. Love for Jesus also requires our hearts to be ignited with strong affections for him. It goes through your mind and it gets to your heart. And I think about you know, the road to Emmaus, how they learned through the scripture about who Christ was in their heart, their heart got got ablaze. And when you begin to understand the life that he lived, his death, this actual substitutionary death, where he takes the place of a sinner and dies in the place of you and I, then your love will just simply grow for him. Because it's all done by grace, by the way. Finally, our love for Christ will drive our wheels. It'll drive our wheels. It comes through our minds. It gets in our hearts, in our emotions, and the outward expression is what? It's obedience. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, this is, this is big, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You will keep my commandments. And so you have to know who he is. Uh, years ago when I met Cindy, uh, you're making a sermon a lot today, Cindy, but anyway, when I saw her, I loved her. No, I really didn't. Because I didn't know her. But when I saw her, I was attracted to her. You know? and, then, and, and then the more I got to know her, the more I found out this girl has a heart of gold. She had characteristics her life was was unbelievable she was just as pretty inside as she was outside and so after knowing who she was i said look i want to commit my life to you and you and that's just a just an earthly picture of what this looks like so if you don't know about christ you can't love him you can't commit to, commit to him but can you love can you love God more than you love you? Because nobody loves you as much as you love you. How do I know that? Because Phil loves Phil. I really do love myself, right? I don't go without a meal. Seems like Blake would call me a couple times a day. Every time he calls me, what am I doing, Blake? I mean, <laughs> if I'm sick, guess what? I'm going to the doctor. I'm going to take care of myself. So I love me. But he's saying we got to hate our own lives. Again, we have to define and understand what hate means. A follower of Christ must die to self-love. Must die to self-love. A genuine disciple cannot love himself supremely. It's not a life of self-fulfillment, but a life of self-denial. If you're going to write anything down, that's one of the things that you want to write down. It's not a life of self-fulfillment. It's what really what everybody does. It's a life of self-denial. It's a call to sinners to submit everything to Christ. It's a call to find your life in death. It's a call to find your life by losing it, to gain by abandoning it, abandoning it to live the fullest by emptying. Luke 9.24 says, For whoever for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So here's a question. Do you, do you love your life more? Does your action show the reality of your heart? If you're not willing to deny your agenda, if you're not willing to put uh, God before all your relationships, If you're not willing to put God over yourself and and your will, Christ says you can't be a follower. You can't be a Christian. That's hard. That's hard. It means it cannot happen. There's no middle ground. Remember, these are non-negotiable terms. Notice my disciple. That's his personal disciple. And some people say, yeah, I'm a Christian. I love the Lord. You know, one day I hope to become a disciple. That's my goal. You know, I've been saved, but I want to be a disciple. That's not correct. When you are a Christian or when you are a disciple, you are a Christian. These words are exactly the same thing. Acts 26, and when, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So when you see the word disciple, guess what? You can put Christian there. This ain't a a higher level of being a Christian. He's got to be over everything. Salvation is free. It's going to cost you your life. Our third point, you must live by dying. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Jesus is telling the crowds to be on the narrow road, To enter the narrow gate, it's not going to be easy. Condition two, you must bear your cross. So what does this mean? To understand what it means to, to bear your cross, you have to ask yourself, what did it mean to the people that were there that day? And let me tell you something. They knew exactly what the cross was. This was an instrument of death. This was an instrument. This was the electric chair. This was lethal injection. This was death on a cross. And where was Christ going? He said, follow me. Follow me. Where's he going? Ultimately, he's going to die. And so I can imagine those people there that day. Time out, time out. This is getting too hard. Hey, I loved it when I was on the mountain a few chapters ago. You fed 5,000 plus with fish and bread. Man, that was good. I love that. These sermons are all, all are great. I love these, these messages that you're giving. And oh, by the way, thank you for healing me of that daily disease. That was awesome, Christ. I really, really appreciate that. But since I'm healed, why would I want to follow you to the cross, to, to your death? I'm going to have to rethink this. You say these words are hard. These words are hard. Imagine yourself in that crowd that day. Imagine when he said those things, what they thought. Maybe, maybe they th- thought the same thing as in John 6.60. I think Shane referenced this last week. Many, many of his disciples heard it. They said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to this? Eat my body, drink you know, drink my blood. Who can do it? We, well, we're out of here. We're out of here. It's hard. But the verb here is present tense. mean means when you come, you carry, uh, present tense, continuous, meaning when you come to Christ, that's not where it stops. There's a coming, and then there is a following. There, you can't separate these two at all. It's a life of obedience. John 3, 36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. You can't separate these two things. A faith without obedience, and James says, it's a day of dead faith. So if you come to Christ freely, guess what? You will continue. Get that. Please get that. If you come to Christ, if you come to him truly by grace through faith, you will continue. True justification will immediately be followed by sanctification. And that message has not changed. Those who uh, follow Christ understood that that this coming and following, it could be their death. And for many, for many it was. To carry your cross is an open commitment. It's an open commitment for the world to see. So and if you were there and to carry your cross, man, it was these are the worst of the worst. Man, they're criminals. They're criminals. And they're carrying their cross openly down the streets of Jerusalem as people look at them and spit on them and mock them just like like they did to Christ. There's no secret service Christians, by the way. This is a public commitment. And just think about the that was listening that day, and I'm sure Deuteronomy 21, 23 came in their mind and it just didn't make sense. For for a hanged man is cursed by God. Don't get it. The world's going to hate you. Hear me out. Adults and young people, the world will hate you. You will be persecuted. You will be excluded. You got that? You will be excluded. The great masses will reject you. And if you've been with us on uh, Wednesday night, as we're going through the book of First Thessalonians, you'll understand. That's what Paul was telling them. These afflictions that are happening, these persecutions are happening, it's destined that that happens. It's destined. So it's a hard road. It's very hard. Don't let anybody tell you anything different. You could lose your own family over this. Now, that's hard. Matthew ten thirty four. Do not think that I have come to bring peace on the earth. I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. Here's where the sword will come down. I came to set man against his father, a daughter against his mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his household. This is hard, but there's no turning back. There is no turning back. This is a a coming to Christ freely. This is a continual act of following him openly and publicly, and you can't turn back. In Luke 9, 62, it says, Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom. No one who puts his hand to the plow, I'm following you, and then you look back are fit for the kingdom. This is hard stuff. He's not calling to for a makeover. He's calling for a total takeover to become sovereign Lord, King of our lives, King of our lives, controller, ruler. This is hard. Never did Jesus add, never did Jesus call for a short, easy prayer to receive eternal life. He did not turn to Peter in this imitation and say, "Look, Peter, could you could you." Get on the keys a little bit and play some background music. He did not try to play on your emotions. He didn't dim the lights. He didn't bring up the fog machine. He told them the truth of what it means. And there, it's hard. It's a hard truth. He wasn't into manipulation. He was telling them the truth. And this is the most loving, loving thing that he could have done. Sadly, that's what we see in our churches today. Uh, people doing exactly what I just said without telling them the cost and playing on their emotions. Jesus did the opposite. He did the opposite. Y'all better think. Y'all hear me? Think. Think. Four, you must count the cost. For which one of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Okay, now... Now, crowds, let's think, let's keep keep thinking. Let's do some soul searching. And in that culture, honor is a big deal. It should be in our culture, but in that culture uh, specifically, honor was a big deal. Your name was a big deal. It carried a lot of weight. And you would never want to bring shame on your family. And this, this tower, this ain't no small tower. This is a big tower. This is a big deal. Any good builder would first count the cost of the construction before entering into a building project. A good builder would sit down and he would calculate if he had enough, looking at the foundations, looking at everything that it takes to, to build this tower. I need to sit down and figure this out. Do I have enough to complete the tower? A wise builder would never be so foolish as to start a building project and then leave that project because he did not count the cost. Look here. This isn't an emotional decision that's done on a whelm. You need to think about this. How many people do you know, and I'm sure you do, in your life of, of being a Christian, that they were on fire for the Lord? Man, they were, they were on fire, right? Sharing the gospel, doing all these things, excited, fired up, you know, they walked out, maybe. Who knows? I'm not against that. But the applause, of, hey, Johnny gave his life to Jesus. Yay, praise the Lord. Maybe he did. I hope he did. But then when all that stopped, and then all the reality of life hits, Johnny eventually leaves. Why? Maybe he didn't count the cost. Maybe he didn't figure out this will cost you your life. You can read the parable of the souls to find out more about that. In 29, it says, Otherwise, when he had laid a foundation and not able to finish, all who uh, see it will begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Now this builder has become the laughing stock of the community. The builder abandons the construction site. He leaves a tower half built. What, a, what good is that tower? It's absolutely Useless. It's useless. And then he continues with another parable. It says thirty-one. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down? All right, pay attention. What king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down and first deliberate whether he is able with ten thousand to meet him who comes against him with. Twenty thousand. And if not while wow, the other is is yet a great way off, he it's the one with ten thousand, right? Sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. Who are the kings in this this story here? Who are the kings? You are Chris. What'd you say? Say it. Well it's God. That's right. But the king is Ronald. You're one of the kings. Chris, you're a king. You're a king. Who's the other king? Who's the other king? Yes, good answer. So what king sees another king coming and does not sit down and say, I've got 10,000 men. He's got 20,000 men. I'm inferior. He's superior. What do I need to do? What do I need to do? I need to think about this. I need to think about this. You know what he needs to do? Surrender. He needs to surrender. What if he doesn't? He will lose it all, even his own life. So if the king is wise, he will surrender. He cannot be my disciple. He cannot be my disciple. And it says, this verse here, 33. So therefore, winding up. So therefore, if any one of you who does not renounce all that he has, cannot meet my disciple. That doesn't mean you have to give away all your stuff. doesn't mean that at all. If you gave away all your stuff, guess what? You'd have to be a leech off the government or other people. That's not God's plan, right? It doesn't mean that at all. It means the king owns it all. You are now a steward of the king's possessions. Listen to that. When you come to Christ, he owns it all. He owns your life he becomes before all your relationships, right? And guess what? All the things that you have are his. So now how will you steward what the king has allowed you to have? That kind of goes with what you were talking about, Chris, we definitely want to be good stewards of God's money to God's people, right? That's what he's talking. Rich Young Ruler had an issue with that. He walked away. Our last point. Your commitment to Christ, look at the clock. Your commitment to Christ must Total and not not half-hearted. And, and to me, that's where many of us fall today. That's where me, we, we want to add Christ to our life, but we do it half-heartedly. Verse 34 says, Therefore, salt is good, but even if salt has become tasteless, with what will it be seasoned? It is useless either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown out. It says, therefore, salt is good. Salt is good, isn't it? I love salt. Sometimes I eat with my daddy at lunch. He'll come down, I think he's watching, at Court Square Cafe. He'll get that hamburger, he'll get that salt, and he'll put some on it, you know. And I go to the, go to the restroom, I'm gone for about five minutes, I come back, he's still got that salt going like you. I'm like, what are you doing? You know, eight pounds of salt on the third pound of hamburger. Guess what? Salt is good, right? Salt is good, and, and, and we see this in Scripture. Salt is a big deal. You ever heard, he is worth his weight in salt? It's kind of where we get that. In the culture, it was used for a system of, of payment. It was actually used in the sacrificial system. It was used in covenants. It was actually used as medicine, putting on wounds. It adds flavor to food. It also is used as a preservative. They didn't have refrigeration back then. They didn't have, of course, they didn't have indoor plumbing either. So what they would do is they would they would take salt and they would put on manure piles to re- retard the stench of that. And I was I was thinking about that when I was uh, I don't know six seven eight years old. I grew up in the country, and uh, my granddaddy we always had hogs. We would uh, once a year we would harvest hogs and. Uh, It's kind of brutal. We were talking about that today, watching animals die. It was really hard. I think about it in my brain, you know. But it was a day-long process. We'll take the hogs, we'll do everything that's required. And then at the end of the day, they've cut the meat up. And I remember my my granddaddy's got a little smokehouse beside his uh, house. And I remember my uncles, they would take these hams, and they'd throw them up in the smokehouse. And I remember just as vividly as it was yesterday, looking, and, 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 and Pete, my granddaddy, would catch the ham, throw it on this table, he gets get salt. He'd be rubbing that salt in all over that ham. You know what I thought? Y'all are so crazy. I said, it's going to be flies on this meat in an hour. It don't make no sense. Come back three months later, and the ham's just, just there hanging just as perfectly. And that salt preserves the, uh, the meat. So salt, salt was used as a, as a preservative, right? But it says... It says, this, it says, what good is salt if it loses its taste? That's, well, first of all, is that even possible? Can salt lose its taste? To understand that, you have to have, have a little context about what's going on in the culture. There was a type of salt in the Dead Sea that if it wasn't processed right, it would lose its effectiveness. It would, not be, it would, it would lose its, its taste, and therefore, it wouldn't be good for anything. What if you threw it out in a garden? It'd probably die. Everything would die. It's not even good for the manure pile. It's absolutely useless. What is Christ saying? Don't be half-hearted. A half-hearted commitment to God is absolutely useless to the kingdom. This is hard words to take. This was, now if, he, if he did not say these things, I'm sure the crowds would have kept going. They would have kept going. But Jesus wasn't looking for crowds. He was looking for what? He was looking for disciples. People who were fully informed of the cost of following him. Those who truly understood the message and came to Christ, the Bible says they will be the true salt of the earth. The true salt of the earth. This isn't a commitment that fizzles out. This is a long-term commitment. This is a long-term commitment. And if you leave this stuff out, people, people may leave. I like, uh, I like uh, don't go there, I'll just read it. In chapter 15, after he got through saying that, he said, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. They were, the sinners were drawing near. But many rejected the words of Christ. They understood what he was saying. He made it extremely clear. What we've read today is extremely clear. It couldn't be any more clear. But there were a time that, that those who were hearing what he said and understood it, they rejected it. And there came a time, we know for them, that they could no longer hear it anymore. They could no longer hear it anymore. So what do we do with this? My question to you is, do you understand what I've said today? Do you understand who Christ is, what he's done? He, he came to the earth just like the Bible said, prophesied. He, he was born of a virgin. He, he lived a perfect life without sin. He was the perfect sacrifice, the lamb without blemish. He died for sinners that day, okay? They buried Christ. They put him in a tomb. Three days later, just like the scripture said, he rose, and now he sits at the right side of God, this great king. What do, we, do you understand what I just said? Did everybody get that? You got it? Then what do we need to do? We need to come to Christ. We need to come to Christ. It's a free gift. It's a free gift. It doesn't cost anything to, be a, to come to Christ. The work's already done. But do understand... It's the end of you. It's the end of you. He has to be before everything, before your relationships, your stuff, all of that. So, second application. To reject this message, to reject the gospel, hear me out. It's going to cost you your life. It's going to cost you your life. I love that music today. Mercy. The king is coming. He's coming. And you're not going to win. You're not going to win. If you reject this message, you have an encounter with a king and you got 10,000 men and he's got 20 and he will not lose. You're going to die eternally forever. So what do you do? You surrender. Do you have a brain and two cells that hit every so often? Think. You're not going to win. Come to Christ now freely and submit to Him as Lord. Because every day, if you reject this message, you're going to bow and you're going to say, He he is Lord. And today you can. But there may be a day you can't. So you better think about that. But in closing, Preacher always says in close, you know what that means? Look at my wife, she knows. Uh, we are about to close. <clears throat> when we lose our life, we gain so much more. We now have peace with the King. We have joy that we never could have outside of Christ. We gain so much more when we come to Christ. And, and can we do that? Here's, here's the part that you'll like. Can we do this perfectly? No. There are days I put my wife before God. Even River Ray Ramsey. I do it. I shouldn't. But my lifestyle will be, for them. when you look at my life, this will be the flow of my life. Will I fail? Yes. Thank God that we have one who sits beside, who, who, who is an advocate for us when we, do, when we do fall. So let me say this today. Since Christ died for me, there is no sacrifice that is too great for me to make for him. So if you don't come to Christ, I was was talking to Cindy this morning before we came. Why would somebody not? My My only thing is after hearing this, here's the deal. You love your sin more. You love your sin more. Come to Christ means this. And you love your relationships. You're the king of your life. And you make all the rules. And you love your sin more than this imitation, what he offers you. And therefore, you can can do that. But you will have an encounter with the king. Last scripture, and I'll close with this. Luke 9, 24. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it if someone was to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their very self? What if you could own the whole world? Literally, you can't. But what if you could? What if you could literally own the world? Guess what? It's not worth it. You forfeit yourself. Come to Christ, uh, uh, guys. Come up. Think about it. Think about it. You heard. You heard what I said today, okay? You heard me, but did you hear Jesus? And don't reject the message of the gospel and what he's saying. It is hard. It is hard. But it's, I wouldn't change a thing. I wouldn't change a thing. If you have any questions, I'll be here. If I'm with somebody, uh, there's other people here. And uh, thank you guys for coming. Wednesday night, be here. There's really no reason why everybody in this room shouldn't be here Wednesday night. We have a great time, don't we? Over here at 7 o'clock, and then the kids have things to do. and. Uh, Be sure and come Wednesday night. Pray for Shane and uh, their trip. May it be fruitful. And uh, man, I'm just so grateful for the Lord, aren't you? Uh, This will be our closing uh, prayer, song. And uh, thank you very much. Uh.
0: Behind me, the cross before me, your no turning.